Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Great Sneakers is the first sneaker brand from Brooklyn, New York. Greats is a direct-to-the-consumer sneaker brand that's redefining the sneaker business. They eliminate the middleman to save the customer money by selling to you at greats.com. I'm telling you, these sneakers are comfortable, stylish, and made with premium materials. Check out all the sneakers at greats.com, and you could save 20% off. When you use the promo code RAP, R-A-P, that's RAP, R-A-P, go to greats.com. Guys like Marshawn Lynch and Kevin Durant also endorse great sneakers, all right? Marshawn Lynch just came out with the Beast Mode sneaker made exclusively by greats.com, all right? Made by great sneakers. Go to greats.com and save 20% by using the promo code R-A-P. Trust me, stylish, comfortable, low-key, flashy, but not too flashy, greats.com. Go to greats.com. Okay, okay, okay. This is the I Am Rappaport podcast coming live from the Vroom Tomb. Okay, so this is uh, Michael Rappaport. How are you? Uh, I am in my car driving to an undisclosed location to interview one of the most important, uh, influential, and uh, shit, he's a pillar of podcasting. Uh... Adam Carolla, I'm about to go interview him. Um, I'm excited. Um, I'm a fan of his. Uh, you know, he's been doing this podcast shit before people knew what podcasts were. So uh, he's definitely somebody who I respect and who, uh, I mean, he, you know, he, he's he's the man. Like, he, he's he's the guy. Like, he's sort of like the Don Corleone uh, uh, of the microphone. Shit, I just, I just made that up. The motherfucking Don Corleone of the microphone. I, I might have to give that to him and then take that back because I, I I like that. I'm surprised a rapper has never said that shit. I got to make sure that no one's ever said that. 
That was fucking good, and that was totally unplanned. So anyway, I'm getting ready to go interview Adam Carolla for the brand new episode of uh, Iron Rapport. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, he's made movies. He's uh, a comedian. He fucking races cars. He shuts down the podcast game. He can build houses. He could fix shit. He could do all sorts of shit. He, he's definitely, like, you know, influential and monumental. Like, you know, Loveline, uh, fucking the, the, the Man Show with, with Jimmy Kimmel, Crank Anchors. He's done a lot of shit, and he's continuing to do a lot of shit. And, and, and while he's doing it, the thing probably that I respect and admire the most about it is that he could build shit. I cannot build anything. So as you can hear, I'm in my car driving... Uh, in the room tomb, actually driving, actually on my way to go interview uh, Adam Carolla. And the next time you hear me, uh, I'll be sitting face-to-face with him, getting ready to get into the get-down. The I Am Rappaport podcast is sponsored by Casper Mattresses. Casper.com. It's an award-winning sleep startup. Go to Casper.com. $50 off purchase of any size mattress. Put in the code Rappaport, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T, Casper Mattress in New York City. You could keep the bed for 100 nights. You could get your freak on for 100 nights. If you do not like the bed after 100 nights, you can return the mattress within 100 days. That's a guarantee. The, the, the bed will be delivered between 2 to 5 days anywhere in the United States and Canada. Same day delivery in New York City. We do not plug, we do not support, we do not take sponsorship from anything we have not tried and we are not passionate about 450%. All right, all right, yeah, so is that, is that comfortable for you, Adam? Yes. All right, this is the I Am Rapport podcast, and I'm sitting down with arguably the godfather, the Marlon Brando, the Don Corleone of podcasting. I don't know any of those names. You never heard of this Don Corleone? Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando? Martin Brandi. No, no, no. Marlon? Never? The did Fish? I, did a couple of films in the 60s, 70s. I'm from North Hollywood, not Don Hollywood. Don Corleone and movie Godfather? Not, you're in the film industry. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm a podcaster. All right. Well, arguably the Don Corleone of this entire podcast world, Adam Carolla is generous enough to be sitting down with me so I could pick your brain about sure. your career, podcasting, your documentaries, how many hours you actually sleep, um, rebuilding homes. I have, I have a bunch of questions, and I'll just jump into it. Sure. When you started your podcast, did you ever think that everybody and his fucking mother, including my mother, she has her own podcast. It's called I'm Michael Rappaport's Mother Podcast because my name podcast is called I Am Rappaport. Right. She, so she just riding my coattails as she does. You know, my father started one, but he couldn't figure out how to do the equipment. So right. he never got, uh, you know, uh, off the ground. But when you started podcasting, tell me, number one, did you ever imagine that it would become sort of a mainstream thing? Did you ever imagine that you'd be interviewing some of the people that you're interviewing now? Donald Trump, uh, Mark Marin did uh, the president. Um, uh, you had recently had me, Michael Rappaport, on your show. I mean, these are landmark things. Like it was like Obama, Trump, Rappaport. Like, did you ever imagine yeah. that it would be? Th- and th- by the th- way, I don't know why you're putting them in that order. Well, you know, Rappaport, I'm trying to be humble. Then there's a big gap. It's a free fall. Then Obama, Trump, Trump, Obama. It's hard to tell second, third. But, but first is Rappaport. Of course. Hold on. 
Then there's like a 10 Mississippi. Right. Then Trump, Obama, Obama. It's Trump. like Rapport, let that sink in, asshole. That's what I'm saying. Then the other people. When I say 10 Mississippi, that I mean let that sink in, asshole. First of all, tell me what the climate and, and the landscape was of podcasting then. And then did you ever imagine that it would turn out to be such a mainstream sort of place for all sorts of stuff going on? Uh, no, I never imagined anything, but I never do imagine anything. I, I simply get up and I go to work. Right. And I've never imagined having a career in show business. I never imagined being on the New York Times bestseller list. I never imagined making a documentary. That, right. that was all, when I grew up, that was something for other people. Right. Having a credit card was something for other people. Having a car that had air conditioning that worked was something other folks had. Right. Having a car that was built in this decade that we were in was something that other people had. Going on a ski vacation, that was, you know, you need a lift pass, you need skis, you need boots, that, you need a cabin. It was foreign. Everything was something, somebody else did it. So I never <laughs> thought about me in relationship to anything other than just get up and go to work. Right. Um, as far as the podcasting goes, I started, I believe it was uh, the 20th of February, 2009. Okay. And I was getting booted off of my radio show. Okay. And it was coming to an end. And I had been on the air uh, pretty much continuously at that point for about 14 years, just nonstop. And I had built this relationship up with these people. The, the difference between the radio relationship and the TV relationship or the movie relationship, the movie relationship is almost no relationship. Right. You don't know who that star is. You don't know Russell Crowe. Right. He's a sea captain one week and a Greek uh, soldier the next. Right. You don't even know who the guy is. Right. Um, it doesn't mean they're bad guys or any guys. Right. Just, you don't know Russell Crowe. You know Russell Crowe, the boxer. Right. Russell Crowe, the sea captain. Right. Russell Crowe, the g Greek warrior. Or, yes. Uh, but, um, or Roman warrior. And I don't even know who the fuck you're talking about when you say Russell Crowe. Uh, right. I'm just playing. Exactly. So you don't know who that is. <clears throat> and then when it comes to the TV show, it's like, hey, there's all the gang from uh, the Big Bang Theory. Right. I don't know those guys. Right. I might like their show. Right. I don't know them. Right. I, um, but when it comes to radio, if you're doing your job right, you know that dude. Right. And or that gal. And you have a relationship with that person. Right. And that's why after doing, you know, 10 years of Loveline, 10 years plus of Loveline, you know, I'd have people when I was winding up. Loveline, they're like, no, don't go, right. you know, don't do it, you know. Right. And again, I'll go see a Russell Crowe movie, but I don't feel empty inside. It's like a relationship. Yeah, no, like you're I get breaking it. up with this person. Yeah, you'll never see them again, you know. And it's part of their life. It's part of their schedule. Their their week. Their day. Yeah, right. So um, when I went off the air, I had a lot of fans in a lot of places around the country who didn't want to lose that relationship with me. So what I said to them is I will start this podcast thing 
and we will be able to communicate. We will. We won't. Now it's not really going to be a two-way street because I don't have phone lines, right. and I'm not reading Twitter, and I'm not sure if I even know what Twitter is. Right. But if you would like to hear my voice every day, uninterrupted, you will hear my voice uninterrupted every day. Same schedule we were on for the last 14 years, and I'll do my best to fulfill that that side of it. And did and did you and but like what what were podcasts then and like what did you did you think anyone was listening like what like what did you think they like because it was I mean like the last three or four years probably the last three years you know it was like I didn't even know what they were that much in the last four years I don't know and then and when that one podcast um about the killing cereal cereal that really took it to another level because it became like no one who even thought about podcasts were like you got to listen to this thing and blah, blah, blah. like but so in 2009 when you started doing your podcast like were you doing it because you felt like an obligation to the fans was it a um an outlet like what made you continue to do it when it wasn't like obviously at the time it couldn't have been um a very lucrative thing right no it was the uh it was the opposite of lucrative which was it cost me X amount of dollars in bandwidth to do it every single day. And every month I'd get slapped with a bill. And bandwidth was a lot more expensive back then. I think it was sort of like a lot of, you know, I think it, it, what happens with technology is it keeps getting cheaper. Right. So you, you got behind your head there's a couple of 42 or 48-inch plasma TVs, right, and those TVs used to be ten thousand dollars. Right, they were a big deal. It was a big deal in nineteen ninety nine. Those things were oh, so. ten thousand right. dollars, and now they're three hundred and forty nine dollars. Right, right. And bandwidth, I think, was that kind of thing too. People weren't using right. it, and it was expensive. Right, and I was popular. Because I knew I was popular because I knew how much bandwidth I was burning up oh, okay. when I was doing my show. So okay. I had this thing where I knew I was using a lot of bandwidth. I knew the show was popular, but also there was no way to monetize the show back then because it didn't exist. Right. There was no um, template right. for anybody to monetize a podcast. Now, the reality is what I knew and, and what... Madison Avenue should have found out about. That'd be a good name for porn star, right? Madison Avenue? Yeah. Absolutely. Has I'd it not w- been used? I'd watch her fuck. Yeah, Madison I, Avenue. I don't think it's been used. Go to Madison Avenue. I'd like to check her out. Take a walk on Madison Avenue. <laughs> and she'd be like, I got a campaign. Don't piss on Madison that. Avenue. <laughs> so um, I didn't have any way to make... You know, the reality is, is any time... And now, now that we figured it out, I don't know why we we're so stupid, but all you want is people in the tent and then you do your advertising to those people in the tent. Right. So what's the difference between a radio show, a TV show, or even a banner flying over the beach on the 4th of July that right. says Takati on it? Right, right, right. It's just people on the beach. Right. Now, if you want to do the banner plane and you want to do it on the 4th of July, it probably costs you more than to do it on Christmas Day. Right. Because there's just not that many people at the beach. Right. But either way, all Takati wants is a is their name right. out in front of X amount of, you know, it's why Goodyear came up with a blimp. Right. Let's fly this over the, the uh, Rose Bowl. Right. 
And all this is is X amount of people listening, and then you sort of put a price on it. And that's it. That's it. And I don't know why people that were selling deodorant or tires or booze or anything couldn't figure that out five, six, seven, eight years ago, but it didn't exist. Right. And when stuff doesn't exist, we have a hard time making it right. exist. Right. And then at some point it exists. And then once it exists, it's everywhere. Everywhere. And that's, that's what this is. And what do you, what do you think of like the, 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 the climate now? Because it's now it's like there, literally there's a podcast for everything everyone has one and i think that that's a great thing it's kind of like you know when when at first like with filmmaking you know at first it was like film is dead film is dead digital cameras digital cameras and 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 i miss film just because i think it's there's a purity to it in terms of filmmakers shooting on film but i think that there's it's a great thing for like young kids for um you know people that never went to film school but that have a vision anybody can make a film like i think in the next it could be any any minute now, or any season now, like a great film that gets nominated uh, for an Oscar will have been shot on, you know, uh, you know, iPhones. It, yeah. it can happen because, you know, like anybody could do it. So what do you think? Like, are you like all these fucking people that are all doing podcasts? Like, is there a party that's like that? Like, do you listen to other podcasts? Or are you like or, or are you just like. I'm Don Corleone. I don't know who you, I know you don't know who that is. I'm fucking Marlon Brando. Again, I, it's a reference. I know you don't know this who it is. It's really obscure. I'm man. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, a, like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm of Italian heritage. No, and I get I still it. don't know what the fuck you You have no idea the John Gotti? John, I don't know. No, never heard of it. Oh. F- you're familiar with that? Mm, There's a racing rim that Newman used to run on some of his old GT1 cars. That's a Gotti rim. I don't know if nope. you're talking about the same different, thing. Different, different, different guy. He didn't make this rims guy's at all. John Gotti. Didn't make. No tires or no tires at all. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know these names. Okay, that's fine. But I mean, like, do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? Do you judge it? Are you like kiss kiss the ring? Like, what do you feel about it? Because you're such a part of the 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 zeitgeist. You're such a part of the fabric of of podcasting. I never think about much. Uh, Honestly, (laughs) my 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 biggest um, qualm. No shortcoming, just like emotional shortcoming. Yes, is uh, having lo- having no self esteem, but not having low self esteem. Just no self esteem. It doesn't exist. I don't exist. Right. So once in a while, somebody will say to me, "You know, that person. It would mean a lot to them if you went up to them and said blah blah blah." And my sad answer is always, "Why do they care?" Right. And they go, "Cause you're the boss, or you're the." You're the podfather, right? You're the whatever, and I go. I'm just some asshole from North Hollywood, right? And they go, no, it'd be very. It's very important to them what you think, and I right. go, it's important to them what I think, and they go, yeah, don't you know? And I go, no, why would it be important? I can't. No matter how much intellectually I understand it, right? I can't process it, embrace that. I get it. I understand. And so in in my world. When I do interviews or I talk to people and they go, what's it like? Or it must be nice. Or you have this legacy or whatever it is. I go, why? Or who knows? Or no, I never. I get up every morning and I think about shit I need to do. And then that's it. Right. I never think about my place in the universe. I never think about who's going to think what of right. me right. when I'm gone or here. I, I'm, I'm one of the bigger... 
it's so weird, but one of the bigger, for me, it's always like someone will go, oh, I was listening to such and such and such and such, and they were talking about you and the blah, 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 and I'm always like, why? Right. And they're like, well, because you're the guy who wants to, they want to know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, but why me? I don't, it's, it's stupid. Intellectually, I should understand it, but I think my parents created such a monster that I, I can't, I'm always sort of confused by it I more than, than anything else. Uh, I'm happy to go to work and do my business. Right. Um, I'm proud to provide a living for X amount of people, right. employees. And, you know, I don't, it's a hell of a lot better than roofing. Right. And th- then after that, I stopped thinking about it. I hear you. All right, all right, all right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. All right, let me ask you a question. As far as people that you, like if you had a top three list going forward, if you were like, because you've interviewed, you've talked to so many different people on all different variations of your shows, podcasts, the, the, the talk show. I mean, there's been, you've come across a lot of people. There's three people that are living right now that you were like, I want boom, 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 boom before they pass away. Besides me, because we already went over that. Oh. Who would they be? Like, who are the people that you're the most curious about of, of, of anybody? And, 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 and so they got to be living. Now we're down to two. Okay. So all right. Just throw one uh, for a right, cherry right, on top. I'll, I'll give you three. They're all living. Uh, Adam Carolla, age 11. Ah. Adam Carolla, age 17. And Adam Carolla, age 27. That you could ask yourself questions. I'd, oh, I wouldn't ask myself questions. I'd tell myself a bunch of Ugh. shit. I'd coach my ass I hear up. you. I would coach my 11-year-old self up, my 17-year-old self up, and then my 27-year-old self you. up. That would be my ultimate fantasy. I hear you. I hear you. Because, I mean, for me, like, just when you just thought about, like, I almost got, like, I got a chill. Because... For me, when I was 11 years By the way, that was a sort of douchey answer, so I apologize. No, I'm going to get the re- the right answer for okay. you. I'm going to get the right answer from you. But no, I, I understand that. But like 11, I don't know what my head was. But 17, I was so fucking dumb. Yes. And at that time, I thought, that's what, at the point of my life where I thought I was as smart as I could ever be, but I right. was as dumb as I ever was. Right. I can't say that about 11 because you're 11. 27, I started to, it started to crack the code like, you're a fucking retard. Right. And then 37, like, it was like, hit yourself, you know, with a hammer because, like, now I realize how fucking dumb you are. But 17, I would have loved to have a, a conversation with myself. Like, where were you at when you were 17? Like, were you, like, were you, how, were you smart, dumb, real dumb, idiotic? Mm, I was living in my parents, uh, my dad, sorry, and stepmom's. Uh, garage uh, in North Hollywood. I lived sort of basically across the street from North Hollywood High School. Okay. Um, I was playing football and pretty much just interested in playing football and being as good as I could be with some sort of weird thought about getting a scholarship or going away somewhere to college and just kind of going away. Uh-huh. On the other hand, knowing that I, I didn't have any grades or any, I never took any SATs. I never took algebra. I just took math and stuff like that. So like I knew I didn't have the grades to go anywhere. And I was just sort of maybe waiting for somebody to intervene and or wake up in my life or something or like take my hand and po- point me a direction. But that never happened. <laughs> So I ended up just kind of drifting onto a construction site when I was 19 and picking up garbage, you know, and then it just sort of went from there. But uh, what would you have told your 17 year old self? uh, Now, now I would have said, 
Um, all right. You know how you're funny? And then I would have said, yeah. Well, first I would have said, quit beating off. So much. And then I would have been like, well, I'm only on my fourth. And then I would have been like, yeah, but it's before noon. Right. And then my 17-year-old self would have been like, yeah, but I got up early. And it'd be like, all right, let's not waste any more time talking about this. And then I'd get back to the real subject, which is, I'd say, um, first off, forget about football. Don't even, don't even, I don't want to hear you say the word again. Don't even get near the weight room. Fuck creatine. It's not, you're not playing. Right. There's going to be no more football. You play your season, your, your uh, senior season at North Hollywood High, and that'll be that. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Enjoy, you're never going to fucking play You'll again. You'll never lace up the cleats in earnest ever again. Never again. Never again. So that's number one. Uh, number two, then, you know how you have a good sense of humor? Yes. You know how all you do is get yelled at by teachers, called disruptive, and never get laid because of it? Yes. Well, it's a commodity. And we need to focus on that commodity because otherwise you and your horrible family will watch you rot on a construction site for the rest of your life. Right. So let's take this ability that is not much different than somebody who has the ability to play the drums. Right. And let's see if we can start harnessing it now and focusing it just like you would get the young guy drum kit and some drum lessons. Right. Let's see if we can get you a little comedy kit and some comedy lessons. Right. And let's start focusing on this because this will be a means to an end for you. Right. You can be a homeowner. You that can, can happen. You can own a car with air conditioning and have more than one credit card if we can take this thing that has thus far been kind of a liability right. in your life and channel it toward the light. Okay, okay, okay. All right, that that I we were in the same sort of boat at seventeen. I, I think I was. We were. Mine was basketball. It was the same sort of thing. All right. So now, g- give me give me the three people besides eleven year old Adam Carolla, seventeen year old Adam Carolla, and did we say thirty seven or thirty four? Um, no, twenty seven. Twenty seven. Three people on your on your hit list that you would be like that that you're like I want to interview that you'd be genuinely excited mm. to interview. Uh, it could be any any form. It doesn't I'm, have to be actors. The, right. you know, politicians, anything that you haven't gotten a chance to talk to and pick their brain. God, I've gotten I've got a chance to talk to so many incredible people. Um, I'll just say, because uh, it's on my mind, J.J. Abrams. Okay. Because I've never spoken to him. Okay. And I think the guy's a genius. One. And he, and he has a motor yes. in him. And... Uh, Tom Cruise, just because, uh, why not? <laughs> right. He never does good interviews or right. any interviews. Just, right. to, just to really dig deep with uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, I, think I'd, I think I'd like to, and I know him, but I've never interviewed him, which is Howard Stern, which is sort of- And who is he? <laughs> Turn, well, you're from New York, so you wouldn't know. Okay. But he's a North Hollywood guy. But North Hollywood guy, Howard Stern. Uh, Maybe no, turn the tables and really dig deep. Like when he really gets into those really dig deep interviews. Right, right. Flip the script and go deep with him. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, his interviews, don't you think like, I mean, his interviews have, because his show has evolved so much, but his interview process, because, you, you know, like I think the main thing is there's got to be an interest, but his interview skills, have, have, are they're so good because he, he can make people that I could give two shits about an interesting interview 
mm-hmm. it's not even him doing all the talking. It's just him prying. He's prying the humanity out of them. Yes. And, and I think to put it. That's, a, that, that's a thing I think. That's a good list. That's a good list. And who out of the three people, or you could say one or two, like where you were like a mountaintop moment that you were interviewing, that you were kind of like, holy shit, I can't believe that I'm getting to do this for people that, you, that you've interviewed? Well, they're guys I really like. There's guys whose ability I really respect. I mean, there's there's two answers. Um, it's fun when every once in a while someone like Alec Baldwin will just call in, just listening, just calling in, read a tweet, just right. calling in. It's kind right. of fun to have a guy like that call in. Um, for me, uh, I'm I'm really flattered when the guys I, I think are really gifted like a Seth MacFarlane or a Brian Cranston want to come in, talk, consider me a friend. Right. And uh, that's really flattering uh, t- to me. Um, you know, being able to just be on the radar of a, you know, Donald Trump or whomever is kind of, kind of cool. Right. You know, it's crazy. Like, oh, I'm a, this is, this is going to be part of his, because for him to be interviewed by you, Donald Trump, it's like, it's obviously, needs to be some sort of benefit to Donald Trump. It's not just because he likes the cadence of your voice or he loves the man show. I mean, there's like, there's got to be. So there's, I mean, that's flattering. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is flattering. And, uh, you know, for me, um, just being able, uh, you know, it was actually little moments, I think for me are are nice. Like um, I had Jerry Springer in here a couple of weeks ago. Jerry Springer sat where you're sitting and all we talked about was the Holocaust. His family was mm. from Germany. There were Jews from Germany. Mm. They fled. They killed everybody. He got out. His mm. parents got out. Then he grew up in uh, Brooklyn and blah, blah, blah. And there was no discussion of throwing chairs mm-hmm. or paternity tests or mm-hmm. anything. And I could tell he loved it. I'm sure. He loved talking about his family. He loved talking about his heritage. That's he loved cool. talking about his nana and his grandpa and blah, 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 and his German this and that and the Holocaust and all, everything. And like when we were done, he was just like, he was like, thank you. And I'm like, I don't thank me. You, did, you were great. You know, I was like, oh, boy, that felt good. Like he just didn't want to answer. This guy didn't want to answer one more question. You know what he didn't want? Jerry, what was the craziest thing that ever happened on your show? Right. And you'd have to tell the same story 272 right. times. Right. And uh, to me, when when you can get a guy like Jerry Springer, who's as out there as you can, I mean, is, is known for one thing as right. you can possibly get. Right. I mean, second only to the Burger King King. Right. In terms of being known for this. Right. And talk to the dude for an hour, and it's all about, Germany, his heritage, his family, the Jews, they lived in this village, they moved to that village, and the Holocaust hit, they got round up, they got round And it literally, Jerry, we didn't even get to the point where he was mayor of Cincinnati. Right. We're still Which talking, is a whole other thing. We're talking about his whole political activeness in the 60s right. and being part of the black movement and right. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we didn't, we didn't even get to it. Right. I, that I like. That's that's uh, that I got to listen to that because I, I you know I heard that he was a mayor and like you're like how the fuck is he a mayor? He's doing this crazy show with the stuff and all that stuff. So I mean I, I got to uh, I didn't even know he's Jewish. Yeah, I mean you sort of picture him now and now you say Springer and then you'd say it in yeah. a German accent, right? And maybe Springberg or Springerberg, yeah, you know, whatever something. it was. But uh, yeah, his whole family's Jewish. 
Dime Rapport Podcast is sponsored by the American Giant Clothing Company, AmericanGiant.com. Go on there. Sweatshirts, rough, well-made, comfortable, breathable, warm. In the, in the winter, you need yourself a nice American Giant zip-up hoodie or a pullover hoodie. American Giant. Go to AmericanGiant.com. Check out the t-shirts, the sweatshirts, the sweatpants. American Giant. All right, so let me ask you a question. I'm in a process I either want to move, tear the fucking place down, and redo it, or that, that, that's really my, where I'm at. My house. Now, obviously, you haven't been there. You haven't seen it. But I, 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 like, I'm so scared to, to, to get into a major construction thing. Now, I know you're, you have, like, you, 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 need, you probably have 100 questions you want to ask. But, like, when so, how, I'm so scared of getting fucked by mm-hmm. contractors. Yes. Everyone's scared of getting fucked by somebody. And contractors are the the people like they're known as real fucks fuckmen. They're real they're real stickmen. They're real coxmen. They're coxmen. It, they're coxmen when it comes to fucking people. And like they have a reputation. I've never been fucked by a contractor yet. I'm scared of getting fucked by a contractor. I mean, yeah. if if you do a total teardown, does your relationship go to shreds? Like my 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 girls like. I don't want to do it. I know it's going to be bad. And we have to move out. That's more money. And you're paying a mortgage. That's more money. They say six months. It's probably going to be 11 months. I mean, is, is there any way to get around the nightmare of it? And are construction people real coxmen and fuckers? And do they do it on purpose? Well, there's a uh, few answers. Not all of them are horrible. As I try to explain to everybody all the time, and you probably experienced this yourself growing up, these guys didn't gravitate toward this profession because they have a love of woodworking they don't? and working with their hands. No, they're the losers we went to high school with who have to eat. Mm. None of them want to do it. I am a, I, I, it's like, have you ever met a pool man who wanted to be a pool man? Right. And Or was he just a dude with a pickup truck who needs a gig? Right. He's not a pool man. Right. Nobody said they wanted to be a pool man when they're asked in high school, what do you want to be? Right. And my theory for all these guys is for about $11,000 cash, you could get them to stop doing whatever they were doing for the rest of their life. Right. That means you're not into this profession. There are a handful of dudes- there's a handful of dudes that take a lot of pride in their work and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, those guys are almost always busy because mm-hmm. the word gets around mm-hmm. pretty quick. So the first thing you need sort of, it's like all the hot chicks have boyfriends. Mm-hmm. You need a guy who's busy because mm-hmm. if he's just hanging around I got and he you. hasn't worked in six I got months, you. he's no good. Okay, that's a good tip. All of, all, almost all of work construction work is referral right it's almost all referral and when you're good you're never out of work for a right. day right as a matter of fact there's a line of people wanting to get you over to their house but to that remodel. seems like a hustle though like oh i'm busy i'm busy i'm busy and then they don't like because i had a guy he he, he would do something he was i'm busy i mean like i'll be over there at two o'clock and then like he doesn't show and then like you know, he was like mr busy mr fucking busy is that like is that like a sort of reverse psychology you know what I'm saying? That could be I, a trap. I, I don't think these guys know what reverse psychology okay, is. Okay, good to know. They don't even know what regular psychology is. Okay. Uh, referrals, look at a guy's work and and see if he's, if you know what you really, at the end of the day, I hate that I said that, but at the end of the day, you need to have pride. You need to have that sense of do the right thing, make it right, you know, 
I'm not going to leave on a Friday and the place is going to be a mess. Right. It would take a half hour. Everyone clean up. Right. Wipe your feet before you come into the house. You know what I mean? The pride. Right. Pride, ultimately, is the only thing that keeps these guys in line. And if they don't have pride, if they don't give a shit and they just want to make a buck, you're, you're going to get fucked. All right. If, if they have pride, like if, if a guy... If a guy is showing you his, you know, the guys will have a website now, or they'll have a book, like a model would have right. a book, you know, and the guy's going through it and you can get that vibe, even if you don't know the language, but you get the vibe of pride. He's showing you the kitchen he remodeled. He's proud of it. He's t- t- talking about the detail and the cabinetry and that the time, you know, when they went with self-closing Euro hinges and they stepped up to the Accuride full extension slides, all ball bearing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like I always go full extension, Accuride, all ball bearing, blah, blah, blah. If, if you can feel the guy bragging a little bit. Right. And you That's feel a the good pride thing. he's got in that. Yeah. That... Th- Feel that pride. Do, do, do you think that, like, have you ever, like, have you ever done, like, a job for hire since you were, like, Adam Carolla, like, to, like, contract somebody else's home? Uh, no. I, I, in my earliest days, when I was on K-Rock doing a character in the morning, I built in the, I worked at K-Rock in the morning. Right. And I, re, I remodeled the studio. Right. They ran. I, re- I went to Bean of Kevin and Bean's house and built him a, a CD bookshelf holder that held like 10,000 CDs. Just a you did this rack. yourself? Yeah. You can do this shit, right? Like, you, 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 you can fucking build things. Like, you know how to do this physical shit, right? I built this studio and I built this console. You did this with the curve and the whole thing. I would call it a radius, but yes. Okay, okay. I say it's a curve. You're saying you're, so, so the radius of this this beautiful console you angled this puppy out like this slant was that called a slant uh yeah i would call that a chamfer but uh, go ahead okay but this slant or <laughs> chamfer yeah that's i never even heard that word like you did this whole fucking thing now like like i noticed like a slight protrusion here like and i'm not you know i'm not saying that you like right here is that is that water damage like what you see there's a slight Sort of thing here. I mean, I'm saying like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, Michael, that I didn't invite you no, no, into my studio to, to have it critiqued but, in but, front of your nine listeners. To, that, <laughs> that, I find I'm rounding this... up. Uh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the God's honest when it comes to You can build. This. That's impressive. Yes. I built this studio and I built this console. But this console I built for me and I built for work. Yes. Like I did not. If I was building it for you. And I was charging for you. Fuck. You wouldn't see this seam that's going along here. I got you. And I, I would have put, it's sort of like auto body work. You know, I got you put you. a little more time in I when it's you. in metal and in primer and the paint comes out a little you. nicer. I got you. And you've had all kind of degenerates hitting Th- this it, banging is, this it. Is, this thing's five years old. Yeah, I got and it. And it's it's a workbench, basically. I got you. But I got you. I, and, and this like foam rubber pad around it, I would have gone with something a little cooler, nicer, whatever. But I wanted it to just be practical. Put your elbows on it when you're talking. No, I get it. I get it. But I'm just like. So I, what you're looking at here is uh, a good design with me at about a seven and a half execution in terms of I came in on a Saturday alone and just laid up this Formica myself because I used to do a lot of laminate work. In, in just one day. Oh, that's this. That, the laying up the Formica is 
45 minutes. Because when it comes to like hammering a nail in the wall, no bullshit. It, 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 if, if, if it doesn't go right, two things happen. Either it goes right in and it's fine, and then whatever I'm hanging is crooked, and then I have to redo it. Or you'll get a soft piece of the wall. This is basic shit. I'm not ashamed of it. And then it, like the nail won't hold. Or you'll hit, I think it's a stud, and then mm-hmm. you have to like, I mean, I can't even do that. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, yes. you would see me and like the way I talk, and I'm I'm a big guy, and like, it's pathetic that I can't like duct tape to me is the end all be all solvent of everything. Yeah. Most know? most guys don't know what the hell they're doing, but why should they? It's not it's not something they've done. You know what I mean? You but, gotta but do it, it for a living. It should be part of like like instead of like school like algebra. I don't give a fuck. Like what about like you know picture hanging class like for yeah, a semester? I could have majored in that. You know what I'm saying? I well I do, and you know the the long and the short of it with me is, and I agree. Like shop class much better than algebra or whatever in terms of big picture learning how to use tools, learning how to use your hands. I did this stuff full time as a profession for a living. Right. So it wasn't ever a hobby right. for me. And the what I'm saying is is it's really hard to get to a level where you can do commercial work, like tenant improvement work. Like that's what this space would be. Metal studs, drop-in T-bar ceiling, blah, blah, blah. That's That's what this would be. And then there's, you know, sort of custom... Uh, home stuff and residential stuff and all that. I did earthquake rehab. I worked at a European cabinet shop, so it was all on the metric system. I worked at a custom closet shop and did custom closets. That's I worked at an about. old school cabinet shop where we just did tons of this like laminate and That's stuff what like I'm that. Saying. I've done every everything. Right. And and I did it fifty hours a week for over a decade. So right. I, I knew what every tool did and how right. everything worked. And the, the thing that I try to convey to people is once you get your brain working in a certain way, which is a problem-solving way, which I've got my brain working on because of building, uh-huh. always building. It's just prob- – it is – here's what building is. It's solving problems, but it's mainly – looking down the road okay it's always what's next it's always we're framing now but when we put the 5 8 drywall on then we're going to change the depth of our jam because now we're going to add another 5 8 to the inside and the outside you're of talking the wall. portuguese to me see once you said framing and 5 8 and depth I, I admire the portuguese but i don't know what the fuck you're saying i wish i did well what i'm saying is is i'll give you an example i mean it, it'll be a Basic, fairly crude, no shit Sherlock example, but here's what it is. You're going to order the doors. You're going to order the windows. Yeah. You're going to order that shit three months in advance. Yeah. You're framing a wall. Yeah. Okay. The wall is two by four studs. Right. Two by four are three and a half inches. Okay. All right. Mm. How thick? You got to put the windows in when they come in three months. Uh, you want to put a door jam in? It's got to be flush with the out with the walls. Yes, right. So the studs are three and a half inches, but once you put the five eighths on the inside drywall gets, and the five eighths on the other side of the wall, it gets longer. Now you just added it, it gets wider. Right. You just you just added an inch and a quarter. So when you're ordering your jam 
material. Instead of three and a half, you're at four and three quarters. Right. But you're ordering the shit three months in advance. Ah. Figure it out now. Right. Order it. Then when it comes, because when it comes, you're going to have the drywall But up. that's trial and error, though, right? Like, how many mistakes do you have to make to get the fucking door in the thing? Like, it, that would take me, what you just said, six months. It's a kind of a, it's a, kind of a thing where it's like a technique, which is, it's a way of thinking meets a technique. The door behind you has a strike side and a butt side. The strike side is to the left where the handle is, and the butt side, I call it, is where the hinges are. Right. Now, I'm going to set that door jam in that opening, in that rough opening. Yeah. I'm not going to set the door jam where the hinges are, the top header is, and the strike, and then put the door in. Right. I'm going to take a level, and I'm going to set the side where the hinges go. I'm going to make it plumb, and I'm going to do it right. Then I'm going to hang the door and set the rest of the jam around the door. Right. See, when I started, I would have thought, well, hang that thing, bolt the whole thing in, screw the whole thing in, get it all, get the top. Now I know, just hang the side with the hinges, and then swing the door, and when the door shuts, work the margin around it, the reveal around it, so it's an eighth inch all the way around. No matter what's off or what's whatever, you have the same all around. Don't set the jam on the other side. Don't set the top jam. Swing the door. Then said it. I, I, I just want you to, I, 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 I don't know what the fuck you're saying, Adam. I, I admire it so much. I, I want to <laughs> I, I I switch up because I know how much you love boxing. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually doing an, an episode solely on this. But it's the 35th anniversary of my favorite movie. And, and, and uh, um, I wanted to talk to you about that and then talk to you about boxing. It's the 35th anniversary of Raging Bull. Wow. The film. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So, so first of all, I want to talk to you about, like, what do you think? I mean, as a performer, as an actor, as an admirer of of film, as now a filmmaker yourself, talk to me about Raging Bull in terms of the context. You know, like just to, just to sort of preface it, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was voted the best film of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it was like a benchmark of acting. I don't think that De Niro's performance has ever been duplicated because I don't think er- an- another production will allow an actor to start one way, shut down for six months, and then gain weight within the same movie, which is what they did for Raging Bull. Um, so, so, I mean, you know. Well, you know, it's funny. I was watching that movie the other day. I love that movie. I love everything about that movie. I love the comedy in it. There's a lot of comedy in talk it. To, talk about that. Well, I mean, Pesci and De Niro are great. And they have these great scenes that are born from all this tension. And, you know, like the scene where he's telling him to punch him. And he's like, I'm not going to punch you. You're my brother. Why would I punch you? And by the end of the scene, he's trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. It, that's a great comedy premise. Right. But that is done completely dry. Right. Nobody's winking at the camera. There's no smiling going on. Right. It's like the purest form of comedy. Right. It's actual it's an actual thing that's taking place, which is like a really pure comedy concept, which is very beginning of the scene is, I would never do this thing to you. You're my brother. I wouldn't even do it to a stranger, much less my own brother. And then by the end of the scene, I'm trying to kill you. Right. And it comedically is a very strong choice. Right. So I love that. I love all the comedy in the movie that you may not even get or understand i love I, when De Niro tells his wife to get out of get out of the room and then 
And then Pesci looks at his wife and goes, yeah, yeah what are you looking at? Get out of here. Right, you know, like right. you can tell he's just kind of doing what his big brother right. just did. And lots of good, subtle stuff. I was thinking about that movie because it was on the other day. And I was like realizing that, you know, everyone's like, well, he had to get into shape and they shot all that shit. And then later, then he got fat right. and they shot all that shit. And then I was picturing the scene where he had the Gennaro fight coming up and he was calling him up, stop eating so much, you fat fuck, you know? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta make weight. And he does this thing where he's like, look, you make weight, you beat the crap out of this guy. You don't make weight and all these other guys have been ducking you, are gonna have to come out, but it doesn't hurt your reputation. Right, if you win, you win. win. If, if you, you lose, lose you, yeah, you still, still win. win. Right, right. And Just I, get down to 155 pounds, you fat fuck, you stop right, eating. Right, right, right. And I was sitting looking at it and I was like, yeah, he's he's 175 pounds here, or 170 pounds. Did they film this in between? Mm-hmm. Did they go get this scene in between the in-shape mm-hmm. scenes mm-hmm. and on the way up? Mm-hmm. They must have got it when he was on the way up. Right. No, you know I know what, what you saying? mean. I know what you mean. Because he wouldn't want to go down again. Right. He started, obviously, at the best shape. And right. I know what you mean, because throughout the film, he starts gaining a little bit of weight. He's out of shape. Right. And then later on, he's, you know, a fat slob. Right. And and all of it's without a fat suit, and 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 you know it's like I don't think like any production will ever like that'll never be achieved again. And at the time, you know, it's still like, you know, it, it was like as far as like an actor, like you're like fuck, man. I mean, that's a fucking performance. Like, you know, you get to do all these things, you get to explore, you know, your you you know all these these different emotions, and then physically actually has the have the time to physically change to start at two extremes to start at really fit and in shape and like you know become a boxer and then at the end become this fat fuck with no fat suit and and it's just like it, it's just sort of a benchmark you know what i mean and then the yeah, direction I think, I and the, the camera movement and everything everything, everything about it everything it, you know it was really it was too much too soon for us to fully appreciate and fully absorb. Yeah. It was like you were a nine-year-old watching Fantasia or something, and you just couldn't appreciate the artistry in it because we were, like, too immature, too much. You know, it, 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 like it's literally a movie that in 1980 we couldn't fully absorb. Right. Uh, I mean, we, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. But, you know, Mannequin's a pretty good movie, too. Right. It's like, no, no, no. This is not even on the same planet as as any other movie that's really even come before it. And we couldn't, we couldn't, we almost felt like, like, it's like you're you're a dog and you you tell the dog, don't you like the Kobe beef? And the mm-hmm. dog goes, "No, I like the I like the dog food because it's got like guts and giblets right. and shit." And you're like, "But eat the Kobe. That's right. that's I, it. Can't appreciate it. Right? It's like its palate's not good enough. It, it it actually thinks that the 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 burger patty that you just slid out of your uh, Burger King bun is better than the Kobe beef because it's not good enough. Yeah. We weren't good enough in 1980 to really absorb that movie. And and I and I, I totally agree with what you're saying because I think that, uh, I mean, I was so young when I saw it. I saw it in the theater in 1980. I was only 10. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when I saw it in the theater at 10, 
you know, it resonated on some sort of emotional level. I mean, when you think about the content of it, and I'm like, and I was like, I love this movie. I, I, I want to. I don't know why, but but then, like, I mean, I, I just I, I watched it again. I've seen that movie probably more than I've seen any other movie besides the, uh, you know, like like you know, Godfather, which I know you don't know anything about, and you said you don't know who Marlon Brando is. Again, I'm going to throw that at you. No. <laughs> No, you don't know. It sounds familiar. I know it's fine. It's fine. But like the the camera moves, the editing, the sound, like everything about it, everything that that, that was going on with Scorsese, it's like a fucking it's like a mural of just perfection. It's not a movie. It's it's not it's like this huge thing and it's like the more you look at it, the more colors like oh, I didn't even realize there was purple in it. You yeah. know, I didn't realize oh, look in the corners, there's yellow there. Like it's just a perf- a perfect piece of art. Um, I, I agree, and I and I feel like, you know, it's funny because everybody always talks about being inspired by that kind of greatness, and you know, whenever anyone ever talks to me about getting into comedy, I always go, well, I used to listen to Jack Off Morning Teams when I was swinging a hammer, and I thought to myself fuck, I'm funnier than those two assholes. Right. And then I'd find out how much they were getting paid and what their hours were and what a great life they had. And I was like, fuck that. I could do that shit. Right. And in a weird way, seeing Scorsese and seeing Raging Bull makes me not want to make a movie. Because you go, I could never do that. Right. He took it to another level, and especially because you know, I'm sure you must have. It must have been in your your head and your your thought process when you were doing the Hammer, because it's like it's a boxing movie, and there's like, you know, Raging Bull, Rocky, like two of the most you know iconic movies, and all the other boxing films. But you know, th- those two movies are so like part of uh, you know, they're like pop culture things, and and they're you know they're totally different. Hey, I didn't even, I wasn't even going to begin to compare anything I was doing to anything that those guys were doing. I was just like, I got an idea for comedy. Right. And I'm just going to make this movie. But there's no, I, I probably would have never stopped throwing up if I was thinking about Raging Bull. Right. As a shot comparison. for shot. You it's know? crazy. Um, all right. So are you, are you, I know you love boxing and I know you box and, and obviously, you know, I really, really like the hammer. Um, Where's your head at Thanks. with boxing now and UFC? Do you, are you have you gotten into UFC? Yeah. What, so and, and and what do you think of Ronda Rousey? And and do you think that someone should be called the greatest fighter ever if she's never been punched up until she fought Holly Holm? We have this thing now where we're in a super duper hurry to make everyone into a role model and everyone into a folk hero, and it's it's kind of stupid. It, it doesn't really. It doesn't happen with white males, for instance, who are straight. But if you're gay and you're coming out of college to play football in the NFL or you're Ronda Rousey or whatever, in a second, we're we're trying real hard to see what we can get out of you. You Caitlyn Jenner, whoever. It's like everybody's got to be the next hero du jour. Right. Another good porn name. Right. That's a good hero du jour is better than Madison Avenue. Asian broad. Hot. 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 Half Asian, half Puerto Rican. Ooh. Hero de sure. Love to work with her. She's she's fantastic on film. Super tan areolas. Oh yeah, she's great. Um so um everybody's looking for that next person. Right. And I think we end up sitting around kind of going, Well, she's impressive or he's impressive or they're impressive, but I need a couple of you gotta get into the NFL. 
and make the Pro Bowl, and then we can start talking about your make make a couple Pro Bowls, right. and then we'll start talking about your legacy. Right. Let's not put the legacy in front of the horse. Right here, and we are so I don't know what it is like fixated in this this need to prop somebody up and have this thing where it's like she's a she's going to teach my daughter that you can be beautiful and you can be tough. like I my daughter doesn't need Ronda Rousey right. for anything right I, right I have no qualms with Ronda Rousey Me neither. but I don't need my daughter to find some her daughter can look at her mom right. as a female role model right. who she emulates right uh and and or whomever but it we with this thing of like they need they need my daughter doesn't need anybody. Right. She's got me. She's got her brother. She's got her mom. She's got a good family. She goes to good schools. She's, right. She's fine. Right. And I don't really want her thinking I got to be beautiful and I got to be able to punch people in the face. Like I, I don't want her punching people in the face and I don't want her focused on her beauty either. I just like her to be a, a good little citizen. Right. Um, so we never stop with this. And then what happens is, is if you dare speak up, you know, if you're the one who's going to go, I don't know, whatever that chick comic, I don't think she's that funny. Right. And then, yeah, oh boy. Then you're, now, now then you're, you're speaking out against women and you don't support women uh, and you're, you're chauvinist. Every, you're everything. Right. And my feeling is, um, I don't know why everyone feels like, I, I mean- the one good part about uh, my white privilege and being heterosexual and male and having a family with no business and no Wait, money that thing or anything. that we did before in the bathroom, does that still keep you as heterosexual? Or I is think that... it makes me straighter because I was behind you. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I was just asking because you were like very insistent on doing that. You were like, before we do the well, podcast. If you go behind, you're straighter in okay. certain cultures. Okay. 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 All right. Go ahead. Um I get to just go through life making my own decisions. Right. I don't need to be inspired by anybody. Right. You know what I mean? I don't need, it's like, oh, Jerry Seinfeld's white. He's a male. He's heterosexual and he's doing comedy. Well, that means I can do comedy, you know. Right. Hmm. Bill Clinton, he was the president and he was a white heterosexual male. That means I, you know, this notion of like, you need to see a black fireman to, to want to be a fireman right. if you're black. Right. 11-year-old, I don't totally sign off on this. Right. I get the fact that it helps or could help, but if you want to be a fireman, be a fireman. And right. If you don't, don't. And as a society, we should just have the same opportunities for anyone who wants to be a fireman. No, I hear you. And that's about where I, I begin and end with this thing, which is I, like, I'm Italian. That's fine with me. Right. I like cars, and there's a lot of good ones that come out of Italy, so that's good. On the other hand, that's about the last you hear me talk about it. Right. Uh, I was born here, and that's what I focus on. It, it, had, it had nothing to do with that. So, but, but as a sport, where are you at with UFC? Because at first, like, I was like, this is too violent, this is too much. And then like, sort of like boxing is in such a fucked up state right now. Like, the, you know, like the, the sport itself. Like, I don't know when, the, I don't know what or when, or if there's ever going to be a fight that's pay-per-view worthy, that's really going to be like, like you know, unless Mayweather Pacquiao do a, a, a square dance, unless they plan on No, square. No, I, I, I think it's uh, Canelo and Triple G 
Gennady Golovkin. But don't you think that's a crazy fight for, for Canelo? I mean, Triple G's like, like 170, 165, and this guy's like 145, 150? One, well, Canelo's a young dude. And Canelo is growing, and right. and and I th- and you can see him physically getting stronger, and yes. each time he gets in the ring, and you know I think Mayweather, for instance, got hold of him. You know Mayweather's very strategic, yes. you know, and he's like, I don't want to see this guy when he's twenty seven, right? But I'll see him at twenty two, right? And I don't want to be forty one, and he's going to be twenty seven, right? I'll get my ass kicked, right? I'll fight him when he's twenty two, right? And I'm thirty seven, right? And that'll be good, right? You know, and so but he's a, too fast for him. There's though. a lot of that going. It's a lot of that going on, yeah. But Canelo's a young dude, yes, and he's making his way up, and he's getting stronger, and he's getting better, yes, and and Canelo, you know, a year from now. At maybe a catch weight, 157 or so, could be an interesting fight. With Triple G. With Triple G. I'd, I'd put my money on Triple G, but we need to find a catch weight. And Canelo, again, he's young, just keeps getting stronger, right. keeps getting better, and all that. Now, I wouldn't want to see the Canelo that fought Floyd Mayweather f- fight Triple G. Right. But I'd like to see the Canelo that's um, a year from now. Right. Keep improving and keep growing. Yeah. Um, Do you get excited at all, like uh, about about UFC the way you did about boxing and the way you you do about boxing? Like, do you do? Was there anything with UFC that you ever like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, it's a fun sport. I <clears throat> like it, and I think I think what it is is, I do think with boxing, once there's too much money at stake, guys stop fighting and they start thinking. Right. You know what I mean? And they start thinking and they start making business decisions. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think in a weird way, we saw Floyd May- Mayweather sort of making business decisions all the way through his career. Right. And, you know, he finished at 49-0. and 0, Rocky Marciano finished at 49-0. and 0, But we didn't see Rocky Marciano right. making business decisions right. along the way. Right. We found him sort of whoever's next. Right. We're getting in the ring. We'll do it every three weeks or right. whatever. And and I'll find a find a guy twenty pounds heavier than me. I don't care. Right, like all that, you know, all that stuff was what we wanted to see. Now there's too many people involved, too many advisors, and there's just too much money. And what a loss can cost is incredible. Mm-hmm. So there's becomes this whole financial side yes. of it. And I, the UFC will probably end up getting there because everything eventually gets big enough. There's enough money. There are fights that are just like, look, that fight's too dangerous. You don't need that fight. You got these other paydays here. I think it's happening with the women now because they're not letting home fight, Holly Holm fight, before the R- Ronda Rousey rematch. Oh, they're not. That, no, that's what they're saying, and that's what it looks like. So she obviously beat Rousey, and now, like, you know, you're not doing shit. Until you fight Ronda Rousey, so they're not letting her have, you know, like a middle, like a fight in March, so right. she could get money. She could, you know, be like the big deal, have her night, right? Celebration for doing what she did. It's you're not doing shit. I think this is what it is. This is what I, I, I've been told it is. This is what it seems like. You until the Ronda Rousey thing, because God forbid if she loses, then it fucks the whole momentum up of the, of that rematch. And right. who would ever have thought? I never and I'm curious to see what you think. Who would ever thought that that would be like a like I, 
boxing and I, I, I think you know fighting is so crazy right now that who would ever think that I w- I'd be looking forward to two women beating the shit out of each other come July fourth? Well, that's I, crazy to me. Don't you think that's crazy? Well, unless it's like a family reunion July fourth thing that just gets drunk and out of control. Right, well, that's that good. I would look forward to. Of course. Um, here's what I think. And I try to tell people all the time, you know, people are like, nobody wants to watch. And then they put fill in the blank, like, you know, women do this or women do that. Well, we don't really want to see women in the WNBA per se. And we have the NBA and we'll watch that. And we have a version of this that plays at a higher level. Yes. And we'll see these guys doing their monster dunks and we'll all go, we could never do that. And then we'll watch that. Yes. But when you take, it's like saying nobody would ever watch a movie about a fill in the blank. No, we'll watch a good movie about anything. Right. We won't watch a bad movie about our favorite subject. Right. So people like to say, you know, oh, we're such a this society. We're such a that society. You know, no one's going to vote in a black president. Right. No one ever vote in a female. No, we'll vote in if we like the guy or the girl or the two chicks can fight or this one's, you know, undefeated and the other one's undefeated and uh, they're going to go at it. We'll watch. So we'll watch anything. But you got to be good. Right. And that's that's the deal. That's the caveat. And everyone tries to make all these rules. Like, you're not going to watch this. They're not going to watch that because you're sexist or you're racist or you're whatever. No, we like you. We think you're good. We'll watch you. Yeah, they guess they proved it. I mean, I I, I wasn't going to watch that that last Ronda Rousey fight because I was like, I'm not fucking paying my $64 to watch her break Tap somebody's arm. out in, in 13 seconds. And no, then, the, 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 look, here's the rally. The rally is... I saw a whole bunch of people that saw the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. I saw a whole bunch of people that saw Ronda Rousey's fight, and they all liked the Rousey fight better. It's a way better fight. Well, it's a way better fight. So, But what about, but I thought you were so sexist, or women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. It's like, no, if you can fight, get in the cage. We'll pay our money and we'll watch. That was the first time I, it, it proved to me that at, at like a, for a pay-per-view thing, you know, I still, I still, like, I don't know, it's sexist. It just seemed like, I mean, there was a fight the other night. These two girls were beating the fucking shit out of each other. Not the Rousey, you know. I mean, the girl afterwards. And it's the same thing, the same reaction to watching um, the guy the other night, the guy from Long Island who, who had beat Silva, him getting pummeled in his face and bleeding. But it's a little bit more cr- cruel when I see a girl. Wideman. W- Wideman. Yeah. That was vicious. That was fucking brutal. And there was a girl, uh, two women fighting uh, uh, the weekend before. And, and I mean, the girl's face was just malign. And she was like, uh, it just was like, oh, what is this shit? Yeah. What is this? Like, is this a sport? Like, And I watch it. And I, I'm a fan. But, like, I still am conflicted watching it of, like, the brutality of it sometimes. And, like, should there be a standing eight count? Like, you can't even see what's going on there. Like, just because he's covering his face and he's not dead, you know, what's going to be the out? Like, what's going to be the punch drunkness of UFC guys in 20 years? Like, we still don't know. Well, I think it's going to be less than football interior linemen and maybe less than boxers because of the repeated beating. I do have a theory that I'd like to float to you. Give it to me. I floated on my show before. Uh, I've seen enough in the UFC where there's two different kinds of knockouts. 
There's the guy gets hit. The equilibrium goes. He starts bending at the knee. He starts grabbing the guy around the ankles and trying to pull him down with him. And then we've had the one where the guy literally just takes the front ball kick right to the temple. And he's you can see him out. You can see the flying knee to the orbital socket. And you see the guy's literally goes down like a heap. Mm. Like he's a rag doll. Mm-hmm. He's out before he goes down. Mm-hmm. And his head whips and mm-hmm. smacks against the thing, mm-hmm. right? Now, there is no rule in Anderson Silva once in a while kick a guy right in the face or back in the day. The guy would go down like a heap and Anderson just turn around and walk back to his right, corner. Right. But a lot of these guys, right. while the guy's down on a heap, his arms are by his side, he's limp. He's lifeless, and now There's it comes the- time for the 185-pound dude to do the flying guillotine punch where he just jumps in the air and lands on the guy with his... And the guy... Imagine yourself laying on the ground completely limp with essentially out of commission and a guy who does nothing but punch a heavy bag all day and covered in sweat and board shorts literally gets a running start and dives with a closed fist to try to essentially displace your jaw right at that point i have said there should be a review and a fine for that just like there is in the nfl which is no one says you can't tackle no one says you can't tackle hard nobody says you can't beat the shit out of the next guy but if the quarterback already has one foot out of bound right and you go in with a missile leading with the top of your helmet onto his helmet it's ten thousand bucks right and then someone will go well how do you define it and it'll be like oh we'll know yeah we'll figure it out we'll see it we see the guy was f- f- slowing up. You see the ref is jumping right, in. Right. The ref is jumping in. You saw, first off, you're the guy who landed the knee. Right. So you know it was bone on bone. Right. You felt it connect. Right. You're not us watching at home. You right. felt, you heard the wind come right. out of the guy. Right. You And you stood in front of him, front row seat, to see the guy collapse. You see it, you feel, you're professional. Yes. You saw that guy go down, and you saw him go down in a way where he wasn't getting back up. And you saw out of the corner of your eye, you should have seen the ref start to move right. to dive in, and yet you did a flying overhand, whatever punch at the guy's Fucking hand. hammer punch into his face or While the guy's hands, hands were limp by their side. So, you know, you can say... I think, you, I, I, I think there should be some sort of you standing can, aid. Now, or a, lot fu- of, a lot of people would go, oh, well, listen, so... Well, what happens next time then when the guy goes down, but he's okay and right. he comes back? And it's like, all right, well, if you see the guy go down and he seems okay or he's fighting or he's coming back up or whatever, that's not what I'm talking about. No. I'm talking about head slamming against the ground, flush shot, down in a heap, ragdoll, yeah. and laying there with I hands like by it. your side. And, no, and, well, charge and, him, then find him and, and, at and, that point. And, you know, Ronda Rousey's lucky because... That happened with Holly Holm, and she kind of missed those punches. Like, they grazed because of her momentum coming down. And you're like, you know, if she had hit those two times, it would have been even worse. I just... I don't like it that that Weidman fight and and like you know and, and and he one of the UFC analysts on ESPN he even criticized it saying when even if a fighter's not knocked out if he's covering himself that's a universal sign to stop the fight like how many punches in the face clean punches in the face does he have to take for this to be stopped he's not going to say stop it uh what's the black guy's name Herb Dean please stop it because he's a fighter and he's prideful but I was just like 
And then he comes back out the next round, and you knew he should. They should have stopped it. Like it just like his, how much blood do you need to see? How big does the gash need to be before you stop that shit? And, and I've never seen a UFC fight stopped on cuts. Mm, I've never, point. and I'm not a pro. That's anyway, a good point. I've had you for an hour and five minutes. Wow, look at us. I appreciate the time. Where's it all gone, man? It's 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 all in the. Uh, the, the 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 little device here, and if it's not recording, we'll just do it again. We'll sure. Just, um, I appreciate it. I'm a fan. I'm an admirer. Um, I, I I I I'm looking forward to watching the Paul Newman doc, winning the racing life of Paul Newman. And I, you know, I just think that you're a workhorse. All the shit you do, all the shit you've accomplished, and uh, oh, you guys see Road Hard too. Yes, Road Hard. Both of these films you directed. I I yeah, and you're gonna and you're gonna send me an email and tell me how much you loved him. Absolutely. No, okay. Even if I don't love them, I'm going to send you that email. <laughs> All right. But I appreciate the time, Adam. I appreciate you coming on the I Am Rapport podcast. I appreciate you having me on your show. Sure. And, 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 and you know, I don't know. I still don't know whether I'm going to tear my house down or move or just continue to live in a, a, a rat-infested, red-mold-infested, pseudo-nice house. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, and, and maybe I'll get you over there one time and you, you can help me hang, hang some pictures with a hammer. Sure. All right, and this is the Iron Rapport podcast with my special, special guest, the pod father of it all, the, 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 the Marlon Brando, the Don Corleone of, of the whole fucking thing, Adam Carolla.